0: Francisco Lindor is saying sayonara to baseballs in spring. It's a beautiful sign, Figgy, as the season is just 10 days away. I cannot wait for real baseball.
1: And Jake, your happy ass, along with 8,000 other Met fans, will be back at Citi Field as the stadium will be at 20% capacity for the home opener on April 8th. We'll talk about fans being back and what do the Mets do with Carlos Carrasco being out.
0: And yes, I did write your fat ass, and he said happy ass, so I'll call it my fat ass. And speaking of pitching, we'll chat with former Mets pitching coach, it's the professor, the jacket, Rick Peterson.
1: All that plus the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens New York, Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing But True. Ours are
2: blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks, it's out of here. We got you.
0: Buenos dias, mis amigos. Welcome to Amazing But True. Our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. It's Jake Brown here, former Mets pitcher, Emmy Award winning analyst, Nelson Figueroa. There. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Jake Brown Radio at Figgy NY. We have a riveting conversation coming up later, Figgy, with Rick Peterson. But Figgy, spring has arrived. The weather's warming up. Fans are coming back. I mean,. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm really good spirits on this Monday afternoon.
1: As well as you should be. I think with the warm weather, and hopefully it's not a fake spring, a false spring, and we go back to the 30s and 40s next week. But I tell you, watching uh, baseball this weekend, seeing Jacob DeGrom on the mound doing what he's doing, outdueling Max Scherzer. It's spring. Everything's looking up. I'm so excited for this season. And, you know, even though there's some bad news overall, The Mets are looking in in great form. Got Francisco Lindora starting to hit the ball with some authority. Pete Alonzo keeps chugging along. Conforto hits his first home run. I want to hear a couple of signings before I really am ready to jump into the ocean about this team. But we get those guys signed to some extensions, and, and that'll make me a very happy camper moving into the 2021 season.
0: And here's the real bad news Figgy was talking about is that I posted a picture in a new sweater, a green sweater from the thrift shop. Shout out to Buffalo Exchange. And my mom's calling me as we had Bucky Den on the Yankee pinstripe pod this morning on our Yankees podcast with the post. And, uh, you know, I call her back. She's saying, you know, this chain that I got's coming to the mail. But, Jake, you're looking a little bigger in that sweater. And I'm like, holy cow, mom. Usually she compliments my looks or something. She is keeping it all the way 100 with me. To the point, I was like, Mom, I think it's the sweater. It's a little tight of a fit on me. I don't think it was me gaining weight. And then, you know, five minutes later, I'm devouring a chicken parm here at 11 a.m. And then I'm like, maybe there's something to her saying that. But I got called a fat ass by my own mother this morning. So, I mean, maybe that's the negative news in Metsland.
1: The reason reason that you sit there in total disgust with yourself, and rightfully so, point at the man in the mirror, because you sat there kind of contemplating. Maybe it's the asymmetrical line that's cut in, The way this sweater cut is fitting me but no it's not okay your mom is being realistic with you your mom realizes hey you know it's been a long year covid and a long winter it's been awful at times hey Sun is shining. Get your ass outside. And when this time when you take a walk, don't come back with a chicken parm sandwich. That's all she's asking.
0: <laughs> yeah. Pointing to the man in the mirror. Oh, yeah, it's true. I mean, I reward myself for a long walk to get a 20 piece nugget, a large fry and a Fallon large Diet Coke at, at McDonald's. That's like my reward for exercise. The Diet
1: Coke is not helping. Or I get chip cookies. Right yeah,
0: I end up having an APM, and I cannot sleep. It's the mix of the bad officiating on Julius Randle the Knicks and late-night oh. Diet Cokes that have me, uh, you know, wired because I just don't sleep enough hours. So, Mom, you're right. Uh, after I get an Yetime Con La Vacuna on Friday, I will be in Yatame Con La gym-, gym. How do you say gym? Maybe that'll
1: maybe that be our word. Gymnasio.
0: Gymnasio. Maybe that'll be our Word of the week in the Spanish Academy. Anyways, in the negative news you were talking about was Carlos Carrasco will be out six to eight weeks. We'll get into that in the rotation a little bit, but we let's start with positives, Figgy, before we get into that negative, And that is fans returning, as we discussed. 20% capacity, be around 8,400 people. I know there's a lot of panic amongst Mets fans, especially Figgy, the season ticket holders. And plan holders and that's because right now April there's like no tickets on the website all the tickets went like removed from people's portals. So everyone's worried because there's going to be people left out of tickets because there are more season ticket holder seats and plan holders than there are seats in the stadium. And that's a problem for April. It's really a problem for opening day. As we've discussed, my father's son Trudit, my dad and I go to opening day. It's four fifty just to get in the building on StubHub right now. So a lot of concern, Figgy. I don't know how what is the most you would pay if you had to pay, if you didn't pitch for the Mets, what is the most dollars you would pay to go to the Mets home opener?
1: Uh, I don't know. You know, with me and live sports, it's it's difficult because HD television does such a great job. And if as long as I'm gonna have Gary Keith and Ron broadcasting it. Then it's like I'd rather sit home and I can I can enjoy myself at home. I can have a good time for me. I don't know. I, I I'm not going very much higher than two hundred bucks. Um, and usually it's a solo mission anyway. My wife and daughter have had enough of going to baseball games and being swamped with with fans. And it, being that it's only eighty four hundred fans in the game, I get it. It's very exclusive, and people want to get back out there. Uh, you know, as much as as much as you do, or even more. So it'll be interesting interesting to see how everything shakes out. I know there's going to be a lot of people that feel slighted because of the season ticket holders and the secondary packages and things like that. But, you know, we kind of got to get through it together and and see what the following month will bring as, you know, capacity hopefully opens up a little bit more.
0: Well, Figgy, I've never met your wife. I've never third wheeled it, but you're welcome to third wheel it with me and my father if, if you had the interest. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. 200 is probably the point. But, man, it's I know people are frustrated, but give it some time here. They're trying to figure out where people are sitting. But I think it's great to even think about being at City Field, you know, getting that chicken parm, getting those, you know, lobster <laughs> fries, getting the steak fries, which I love. You know, the filet mignon steak dipped with the melted cheese on there. This is the fat that you. my mom is talking about that gets only fatter when the season happens. I lost 2019 season. I lost 20 pounds from March until April, one month, changed my diet completely. Baseball came, beers, city field, fat foods. I, I think I gained most of it back. So this is the time where it's hard to lose weight, but I, I think it's exciting because it's the piped and noise didn't do it for us. I think being there, especially for me, I live 15 minutes from the stadium. So the decision where you know I'll be vaccinated, show that as proof you need that, or a negative test to take an Uber at 6:45 and be like, all right, I'm going get tickets at the last minute. I miss that feeling. I think the players miss you know the excitement you get from fans. You can speak to it to pitching the difference that it makes having. Even 8,000, 8,000 is going to feel like a lot when we're watching Knicks games with 1,800. You talk about 8,000 people, they can make enough noise to make a difference. 3-2, bases loaded, top of the ninth, Diaz in trying to close the door. I think having those fans there is something, especially for a guy like Pete Alonzo who struggled at times, he's someone who feeds off the energy of the fans, so I think 8,000 will sound like 25,000 to a lot of these guys.
1: Yeah, it's it's palpable. It really is, and I've said that from the beginning of my tenure as a analyst broadcaster, encouraging the fans that they do have a role to play in this, and it's called a home field advantage for a reason, right? You want to make the other team feel uncomfortable, not your team. At times, Met fans can be very critical, and And they do not like to forget what happened yesterday. And a guy like Edwin Diaz struggled mightily because the fans would never let him forget every time he blew a save. I think last year he was able to overcome that adversity because it wasn't fans. They weren't piping in moans and groans if he had a 3-0 a count on a hitter, the tying run on deck. So I think for someone like him, it'll be interesting to see if it has an effect at all, if maybe he was able to learn how to focus and, and drown out that sound or the noise. Pete Alonso, of course, is a guy that feeds off it. Most ball players do you you like the energy you like to feel when you get a big hit in a big moment that's our thing that's our drug that's what really uh gives us a a high like no other this is why you you work so hard and you you play the game to to have moments of adulation and i think that's something that every player desires so it'll be fun to have fans back it'll be fun to take part in it as well as a fan. And, um, you know, it can't come a- any sooner. I, I think uh, we're all getting antsy as spring training is winding down because spring training has been different this year. You remember they're cutting innings short, they're, you know, managing the games. You could have a five inning game if you guys agree to it, a seven inning game. So the games don't matter. So when you look at your team, you're like, oh, you know, they-, they barely have a winning record or they don't have a winning record. That means absolutely nothing this year, more so than ever. What we're looking for is guys to be healthy, guys to be swinging the bat well and, and throwing the ball well. And I think that's where the Mets are at. So it it's almost uh showtime
0: cheering. Let's go Mets with a mask on will be a little difficult though. I, I, I'm like, I, I kind of want to do a sample. Actually, I actually have a mask right here. I'm going to try and do a sample of how it would sound at Citi Field, Uh, having a mask on and cheering. Here we go, Figgy. All right, putting the mask on, you know, covering up. Figgy can confirm the mask is on. All right, here we go. Let's go, Mets. Oh, it's so deflating. Oh, let's go, Mets. Stop it. Let's go, Mets.
1: My concern for you is you're going to be cheering so hard like (sighs) that that you might pass out. You're going to say you can't breathe because of the cheering so hard. I think the other element of it is you're going to be so spaced out. Remember, the stadium can hold over 45,000, so – you're going to be spaced out with only eight thousand people there. That you're going to be allowed to maybe cheer a little bit without having to wear the mask fully, um, or at least letting your nose out. I, I don't know what the regulations are, but be grateful that you're in the stands and be, having an opportunity to do that. You could be doing that at catch Astoria, and it'd look a little strange. Yeah,
0: well, catch. We we might do uh, the post home opener. We might try and do the show, and we'll be that'll be our first week or twice a week. So. Uh, we'll, we'll announce it officially on Twitter or whatever, but a catch in Astoria could be a possibility April 8th after the game. But uh, I may need one of the ones with the zipper around it so I could you know, stuff some steak fries in my mouth while uh, cheering. But, of course, when people drink and eat, they're going to take it down and uh, excited to be back there. The other big news before we talk again, Carrasco, is the offers are out. Conforto, you know, the, the, the number's not out there yet, but they're talking. They don't want to get it past opening day. Lindor, the reported initial offer, was just under $300 million. Him and his agent David Meter countered with a number well over $300 million in total guarantee. So it seems like there's a little bit of a difference between those guys, Figgy, but you really don't want this to be a distraction during the season. So you either want to get it done or move it to the offseason. Ideally, you want to get it done because when the offseason happens and other teams are involved, that's when things get interesting and that's when Lindor's mind is... Creep in other places. And then if the season goes bad, he might say, you know, I don't want to be here. So he, you want him, before he's an official bet in regular season games, you want him locked up, and it might take $350 million, It might take $325 million to get it done. But ideally, at least him, I think you can live with Conforto, although you, you can live with Conforto next offseason. But he is one of the premier outfielders on the market next offseason. And if he has a monster year and the Mets don't get him done now, uh, he might go elsewhere in the offseason.
1: Yeah, you know you have Scott Boris to deal with, and that's always going to make negotiations difficult. Boris always seems to get every last dollar for his clients. Um, No questions. Well, actually, questions asked, but it really doesn't matter to him. He gets it done. Uh, When it comes to Lindor, and I think, of course, the Mets went just below 300, and he went well over 300. That's how negotiations work, right? Now they're going to probably work back towards the middle of that, somewhere around that 320 mark, 325 mark, somewhere around that. I think I'll be comfortable for both parties. It's just with the structure of the contract, right? Because do you want to be paying a guy at 37, 38 years old, $30 million? Or are you looking to load it front-loaded a little bit, and then give him options that he can walk and try and go elsewhere. There's a million different ways that we've seen contracts structured, including a 14-year deal for another shortstop in Tatis Jr. that – You can't equate the two, right? Because you're looking at two different markets. You're looking at two different situations. In the New York media market, of course, that's the biggest selling point, and we talk about that all the time in sports media about New York as the mecca. New York. Yet, I don't see that really being a big thing for the players. We talked about that with KD when KD was a free agent. Oh, he's got to come to New York because it's the mecca. He went to Brooklyn, right? Even though it's the Nets, it's a lesser team than the marquee Knicks. I I think players want to go where they're going to be comfortable, where there's less controversy. That's why sometimes in the, under the old ownership with the Mets, it wasn't where people wanted to be it was like there's too much drama involved you know there's always drama involved with that organization if you can get the same amount of dollars from elsewhere you know that's where guys were going and it was that this offseason is a prime example they made offers to all those guys real muto springer and and bauer they made offers to them they made offers that were just as good and they chose to go elsewhere sometimes that drama really holds back a team from reaching their potential hopefully that culture has changed but signing Lindor and showing that you're willing to sign a, a superstar of that caliber signing Michael Conforto that changes the direction of everything because you have key players and key pitchers in place to be very competitive right now and going forward for the next 3-4 years
0: and wait till Lindor uh, sees the first dildo in Luis Guillorme's locker he might reconsider coming to the Mets and that's <laughs> an extension you never know you know TJ Rivera part 2 or or Luis Rojas bats the guys out of order. Uh, who knows what happens there? But yeah, I do think they're going to get it done. I, you know, it's, it comes to different. It might be between twenty-five and fifty million. They just have to come to an agreement. The Mets know what he means, and he and you're seeing it from him, man. I mean, three homers in the last five games, a grand slam when he cranks it. I mean, he is a. It's a beautiful thing to watch. I rocked my Mister Smile Indoor shirt the other day around Astoria, feeling like a three hundred million dollar guy. And you know, I'm <laughs> lucky to have like three hundred dollars in the
1: bank. Yeah he he started off he started off. 0 for 7 or something like that and there was panic oh can he handle new york he's not in new york he's in port st Lucie. stop it already and then he goes i think it's nine for his last 20 um, with three home runs, hitting the ball with authority, still playing that great defense, the smiles being flashed. Uh, but you're watching a lot of this team gel together, and that's what you really, really like, is that everybody seems to be pulling for each other. There isn't that, you know, it, it isn't one man, you know, sitting by himself. Everybody seems to be finding a way to to try and get better. They're sharing information. They're sharing uh, techniques you see Lindor helping J.D. Davis out with his fielding. Um, that's something that a coach can't do. A coach can tell you this is what you do, but showing you how to do it. You got a Gold Glover next to you on the left side, and Lindor. You know J.D. Davis ho- hopefully takes those and and those little tips, and maybe it helps him get better. Every little thing. You want the weakest link in that chain to still be an all-star. That's when you're talking about a superstar-type team that you're putting together and and to compete. With the teams like the Dodgers and the the rest of the teams in the National League, the, for sure the Padres, the way they revamped their rotation in a short amount of time. You look at they had Clevenger, you Darvish, and Blake Snell at the top of the rotation. And none of the three made the Shredders best starting pitchers uh, in baseball. It was actually uh, LeMet that was one of the top 10 in baseball. So then you have those other three following a guy like Lemaitre, who had a breakout season last year. So they're going to be very tough. They're Everybody's healthy. Everybody's throwing the ball well over in San Diego. And we know what kind of an offense that team has. So they're going to be pushing the Dodgers, hopefully, you know, putting some pressure on the Dodgers like never before. So I love baseball is so exciting at this time. It's spring training. Everybody thinks they have a chance. Realistically, uh, I think we saw last year, team even like the Florida Marlins jumped out, Uh, Right from the very beginning and just kind of rode a wave all the way into the playoffs. And uh, that's where the National League East is. It's going to be going back and forth. Who's going to keep on, on to first place at the end of the of the end of the season? It's up up for grabs for anybody in the division.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a four team race. Plus, you got to mention the Marlins because you know they did make the playoffs last year, so they might not be in it. But you know, realistic, there's a chance it could be five teams in September in the race. It's funny you mentioned you know the people who overreact to Lindor with the slow start, and you're like, you know, he's in Port St. Lucie, not New York. It's like the stress of Port St. Lucie. It's like Duffy's closest <laughs> to ten. He went to get Chick-fil-A on Sunday to realize it was closed. Port St. Lucie. <laughs> bingo hours every Friday at 7 p.m. Will he attend or are the Mets playing at 7 p.m. at that time? Stress in Port St. Lucie. Like, what does he have to worry about, Port St. Lucie? Like running over someone in a wheelchair? Like, come on. Like, there's no stress there. So when he comes up here and uh he's in he's in Queens, the streets are flushing at the outside the chop shops, everything going on around City Field, that's when things get real. Let's close on this before we go to the special. Spanish- academy carlos carrasco i mean listen this guy battled leukemia so battling a torn hamstring is nothing for him but he realistically he will not be back till june because they say six to eight it's going to be closer to eight figgy you know that and you know he's going to have to rehab as well so there's a chance he's back when noah Syndergaard is back and the mets kind of you talk about a guy who gets hurt trade deadline acquisition they get two starting pitchers back in the rotation but here's, here's the pro right now for the Mets is that the big three, which is DeGrom, Stroman, and Walker, because Walker will now be their three, have all pitched well in spring training. They've all looked good. They look like a, a, a strong top three. Now the back end is what we want to talk about because Peterson's been struggling a little bit in spring, but he was good as a rookie last year. He showed that you know he probably belongs here. I know some people on Twitter said that he wouldn't be in the rotation. I think he's a lock to be in just because of what he did last year. And then the fifth, Monday, you know, as we're recording this, Joey Lucchesi's on the mound. He's pitched well, and Yamamoto's pitched pretty decently. So, I mean, gun to your head, do you have a preference, Yamamoto versus Lucchesi? who gets that fifth spot? And do you agree that Peterson uh, will probably be the number four?
1: Gun to my head, I think going with Yamamoto. I like Lucchesi as also a reliever out of the bullpen, the long man slash reliever. Even if you flip-flop those two guys, they're going to be interchangeable, but there's not a second left-handed reliever as of right now. Uh, Lucchesi has relieved as well. Yamamoto's relieved as well, so they have experience doing both. Until Seth Lugo comes back, there's also that missing piece in the bullpen. So uh, to have uh, Aaron Loop as the lone lefty right now, and unless Jerry Blevins is going to make the team, uh, you know, you're looking at a, a situation where you're going to need a second lefty so I think that's where Lu Chasey although he's pitching well his best fit to help this team because if you can skip the fifth starter in April depending on the off days you will skip the fifth starter so you have to have that roster construction set up that way so that moving guys back and forth is something you can do both these guys have options left that was one of the great things about You know, acquiring these guys, this type of player where they're 27 and 24, respectively, they're younger, they have options left, so you're not afraid to send them down, you're not going to lose them, they're not getting DFA'd, so I I think that's where I think uh, Lucchesi might be in the bullpen To start out depends on who you're playing. Depends on what go through the first time because there's no fifth starter that's going to take his rotation spot instead of letting Jacob DeGrom. So so all six you
0: think will be there. That they're not going to have one guy you know in the minors try to stay fresh as a starter. You think they're all going to be here because Lucchesi does give that second lefty. And that is important because I don't, I don't think Jerry Blevins is going to make the team, right? I don't think he's going to, he's probably going to start off in the minors.
1: I I mean, that's the thing that he signed to a minor league deal. So you have that flexibility to have somebody like Blevins down there. That's the depth that we talked about that they added. Remember they added some other guys who have, who've had success uh, in the major leagues before Hunter, you got a Montgomery, guy like, yeah. yeah, you got Mike Montgomery, you've got uh Eikhoff, You got guys like that, that have, have started, you know, and, and you know, a little bit of history about, they're still looking for an opportunity to do it. They're going to start out of the minor leagues. You know, that part, so you don't have to rush guys like Matthew Allen. You don't have to rush guys, the younger generation of these guys coming up. So you have some other pieces, but I, I do not want to see Corey Oswalt back up anytime soon. Something really bad has to happen to see a guy like Corey Oswalt, even though he had a great first outing, punches out five in two innings. And then the next outing he has against the same team, he winds up going two in a, I think it's two and a third innings and gives up five runs, two home runs, and looks like the picture that we saw the inconsistency. So I think what they did was they have that depth probably, going to have to add somebody. So if there's a free agent still out there that's still looking for a job, he may get a call from the Mets here knowing that they need a possible starting pitcher, a veteran type that, hey, they know as long as he's healthy and he's ready to go, he could be the guy that plugs in and goes ahead of some of the younger guys. The depth will be tested early. Let's put it that way. But I do like that. In June, the team gets an influx. You know, May, June, you got Lugo coming back, Carrasco coming back, and Syndergaard coming back. That's a big three to get back.
0: What do Corey Oswalt and Tequila have in common? They both make Jake throw up. Yeah, I, I'm good <laughs> with not uh, seeing Corey Oswalt. I did, I did have a shot at Tequila the other night, and I was fine. The key was chasing it. Chased it with a boozy Arnold Palmer. So you chased the Tequila with an Arnie. Anyways, I'm your certified fat-ass Jake Brown here with Nelson Figueroa on the Amazing But True podcast. Rick Peterson is going to join us a bit next week. We'll have a season preview show Monday. We'll give our predictions, win totals for the Mets season. And excited about that. But coming up next, it's time, Figgy. We go from Angles to Espanol in the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy right here An Amazing But True.
1: It is time now for the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy. I'm here alongside Jake Brown, and every week we try to get Jake a little bit more cultured. Um, this week's word of the day. Happens to be what he is. He likes to eat comelon.
0: So this basically means fat ass, but
1: it it
0: means he likes to eat. You you take it personally. you can have it that way.
1: Comelon. 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 See, that was easy. It's almost like you knew what it was before you even said it. It's like you've ate it before. Comelon.
0: On, on the, on <laughs> starting with the C note. Apologies to Al Lighter last week because I said Cono <laughs> Al Lighter" and then discovered that "Conio" e- either means female genitalia or it's the f bomb. So I'm sorry to say uh, "f Al Lighter" or "vagina Al Lighter." <sighs> uh, so sorry about oh, that, man.
1: Al. Uh, see, that's the beauty of Spanish. It depends where you're at, what dialect, what country, what, who's listening. It can be taken in a multitude of ways. We realized that you didn't understand that conmigo went with me. You tried to say con I uh, or with me and you said con yo. When you put that together, it doesn't. Well, listen, uh, I just quoted, I just
0: said the Jason Derulo title of the song, not thinking that it would mean the F word or a a woman's private parts. So, uh,
1: yeah, well, live live and learn. That's why it's a a difficult language at times. So, it depends what company you're around when you say certain words, Jake. That's lesson number one. So, fat ass one
0: more time. (laughs) Comelon. Comelon.
1: All right. I think I got that one down pretty easy. Yeah. Easy for you. All right, now the next one, which leads to our phrase, backstabbing. And when you listen to the Rick Peterson interview, you will know why we're using this one. Backstabbing. Apuñalar por la espalda.
0: Oh, my goodness. I was getting ready to say Hakuna Matata. Um, one more time.
1: Apuñalar Apu- por la espalda.
0: Ap- apuñu- one word at a time, because this one is, this this could lead to something <laughs> ridiculous. Apu- Apu- Apu-nalar? Apuñalar? Apuñalar. Apuñalar. A pun, A no Brian a is
1: punilar. having an
0: aneurysm over there laughing. Uh, a punilar. Por la, por, la por la espalda. Por
1: la espalda. Why are you going so? It's not German. <laughs> Spanish. Let it flow off your tongue a little bit. <clears throat> All right. So here we time. go. The whole thing without stopping. Okay. A puñalar por la espalda. A punilar.
0: Por la <laughs> rom-
1: it sounds so harsh when it comes out of you.
0: I'm used to francais
1: puñalar, yeah, and that's even worse because that's a little bit of a harsher tone. So we'll try one. But more I'm time. romantic. It's a pu- the language of
0: romance, so that's that's where it comes from. Yeah. Uh,
1: oh. Okay. Apunyalar <laughs> por la espalda. Apunyalar por la espalda. Not bad. Backstabbing. We'll hear plenty more about that when we uh, return with our interview from Rick Peterson. So today's two words, again, backstabbing and... Fat ass. Fat ass. It's not fat ass. A con conyo outlier. Our show has turned violent. Oh, no. It was a little better. It was a little better. You had a little better. All right. Better, so we had
0: entrenameno, entrenamiento, entrenamiento. Better. Stay there. Enchena Mementos, <laughs> the, the mint fresh maker. <laughs> Enchenomeno. We had Sobre Raccinal. We had Buenos Dias Mis Vacinos. We had Inyete Con La Vacuna. We had Starting Pitcher. Which one was that again?
1: That was Lanzador Titular. Lanzador
0: Titular. And then we had the Bearded Magician. El Mago Barbudo. El Mago Barbudo. Puñelar por la espalda.
1: No, you're so much better when you whisper it like that. That's <laughs> creepy. I'm not going to lie to you.
0: <laughs> and then fat ass. Come
1: along. That, that might be the easiest one all season. <laughs> like I'm telling you, it's like it's uh, you've had it in, in you this whole time. Come long.
0: All right. Well, we'll talk about backstabbing and and we won't talk about fat ass, but we'll talk about backstabbing and other Mets things with the wizard, the professor. Lo profesor.
1: El profesor.
0: El profesor. Con la Rick Peterson. Next. An oh, amazing <laughs> but true. <laughs> Joining us now is a former Mets pitching coach from 2004 to 2008. He was regarded as the best or one of the best in the game at the time. And he was a pivotal part of developing the big three that you saw in Oakland with the A's with Barry Zito, Mark Mulder, and Tim Hudson in the Moneyball era. Let's welcome in the professor And the jacket, Rick Peterson. Rick,
1: welcome to Amazing But True. How are you?
2: Oh, man, I'm doing great. It's just so great to be with you guys,
1: and it's really, really a privilege. What does Syndergaard need to do to turn that corner? He's coming back from, you know, having Tommy John. Finally, will we see this kid become a complete pitcher?
2: Well, it's all about the mind, And, and I'll say this, and that's what our book is about. The book is about, you know, crunch time. It's about the mind. It's about developing the mind of a champion. And the mind of a champion is literally understanding that this is all about, you are a professional glove hitter. You get paid to hit the glove. You hit the glove, you do good. You miss the glove, you're not going to do so good. It's that, it's that simple. It's not how hard you throw. And I think when, when he's he's kind of lost his focus because, and think about the feedback that you get as pitchers, right? You pitch a good game, and, and after the game, the people that start giving you feedback go, oh, man, you are awesome today. You had such great stuff. Oh, my God, your fastball is explosive. You know, you break them. No, no, that's not why you pitch well. Because you had great stuff. You pitch well because you executed pitches. You know, and 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 I can't tell you how many times you'd be interviewed and, and people say like, "Well, what was the matter with him today?" You know, I'd like to say something really profound, but he missed out over the plate, middle, middle, too many times. It's just, it's just that simple. And and you know, and and it and it reminds me, and I and I come back to golf because and and I'd, I'd be curious from your standpoint, figgy. You know all the years that you in the big leagues. I've asked this question that like I can't tell you how many people. Can you name a pitcher that you know of that, that was in the big leagues that had a big league career? Not that he was great, but he had he he had a big league career that was a golfer that was a terrible golfer can't name one they're all decent they're all okay or, or they're either really good or they're okay they're not terrible
0: Willie did say that when you guys got let go on the west coast which was a dirty move by the mets uh you guys you guys did share a few a few many martinis on the flight home back to new york
2: no actually, actually it was white wine <laughs> oh there you go Peter Grigio. good, ah, good yes. choice <laughs> Yeah, because it was in the middle. It was it was the middle of the day. Martinis wouldn't have gone well in the middle. Of
0: the day. <laughs> well, it <laughs> happened after a win. It was let go after a win. That whole situation. And Figgy was on the team that year. I think Figgy. You guys might have been surprised by it. Rick might have been. Uh, well, he was. It was just weird how it all went down, Rick. Well, the, the
2: irony of of it is, is that I knew it was coming. It's hard to really explain. There's some things that I'm really still not comfortable saying publicly at this time. But I really went through a point when I saw what some of the things that were happening behind the scenes. I didn't want to be there anymore. It, it was like so. I just couldn't believe the the backstabbing the. You know, the dishonesty, the, you know, it, it was just, it, it was just a really an unfortunate situation that, that really went sideways after that 2007 and everybody thought we had this collapse in 2007. We really didn't have a collapse. We didn't have any inventory. You know, Billy Wagner was getting shots in his back every other day. He, he wasn't available. Or back end of our bullpen, Pedro was down, Duque was down, you know, and everybody was pointing the finger, you know, and I always say to people like, you want to point the finger, go stand in front of the mayor and start pointing and start talking. You know, that person should be listening. And, and, it, and it really didn't get that way, and it just went so sideways that it was just such a toxic place to be that I was really grateful that that Omar let me go. In, in fact, um, I haven't told this story, but I, I think it's you know not out, not totally out of line. But I was in my room, and they I got, they called me. They said Omar wants to see you in his in his room, and I said to myself, "Wow, okay, this is going to be the time they're going to let me go right now, right?" And you know, Omar said, Listen, we gotta make a change. And I said, Omar, I can't thank you enough. For the last three weeks I could I couldn't wait to get the heck out of here. I, I said, honestly, Omar, I said all the knives that are in my back, all the all the people stabbing me in the back, my wounds just healed. And I said, Omar, I'd be very careful. I said, There's people standing behind you with machetes. I'd be very careful. And I said, but I just want to let you know that I'm, I'm just grateful for this opportunity, and I had a great time, and you know, I have no no bad feelings whatsoever. And it's it's time for a change. And in fact, that day, that next day when we left. You know, all the reporters were down in the lobby and they, they obviously wanted to talk to Willie, not to me. And and Willie wasn't ready to talk to anybody at that moment. And I asked Willie as a favor. I said, Willie, would you would you please? And you could YouTube it on on uh, on the fan. And I asked Willie, I said, Willie, would you would you mind if I I said I have something to say? You know, I said, I don't want to answer questions, but I have a statement I want to make. And I'm not going to have an opportunity to do that after this. You know, they're all down there right now. I said, can you give me like three or four minutes to like make my statement? And he says, yeah, me in the car. So I went down and I said, hey, listen, I said, I've had a great time here. And this is like the tale of two cities. It's the best of times. and It's the worst of times. And I said, I, I understand that, you know, every home goes through a renovation. And right now this home's going through a res- re- renovation and they're pulling out the hardwood floors and they're going to put in Tuscany tile. Nobody rips out hardwood floors. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so that, that and I said, you know, hopefully, Danny Wortham's coming in. Danny Danny's Danny's good friend of mine. I said, hopefully, I said most of our pitchers are on track right now, but just the ones that are not, hopefully, Danny can get them back on track, and this team can turn this around because this team should be winning, you know, without question. And then someone said, someone said, Rick, what, what's your what's your next move? I said, I'm going out that door to the Jersey Shore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> GTL Jim Tan Laundry Rick Peterson said. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is an awesome story you could write a you could write another book just on the two thousand seven two thousand and eight Mets team. Damn,
2: I didn't know a lot of that stuff interesting, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that you know that you know for whatever reason i I just think that you know like the whole Casimir Zambrano thing that was all that that was all like a fabricated the whole fabrication. You know, I mean, there was just so many things that you know. I guess that's why they call it the Big Apple. It's just like things are just bigger, bigger in New York than they are. I mean, certainly they they're bigger in New York than they were in Oakland. That's for sure.
0: Steve Cohen's just Steve Cohen is here, Rick, to try and save us all from any more misery. New owner, new GM, new a new roster, more money. I'm hoping a change in ownership could change things up, uh, Figgy, right?
1: Yeah, but my, my thing is I, I, I get the fabrication. Trust me, nobody knows how New York can turn on you in a heartbeat more than I do. For me, with the Zambrano story, even if it's not true, riddle me this, Rick. You're telling me you couldn't fix Victor Zambrano?
2: Well, here here is the thing. When that trade was made, before the trade was made, I asked the trainers because he was he had missed he had missed some time in, with his elbow. And I and I asked the trainers, I said, what's going on with his elbow? He said, well, they said, he's on the fifth day of a steroid med pack. And I said, wow, that's, that's about as heavy as you get before you start getting injections. And so when we made the trade, it was like, say, a Tuesday, and he was supposed to pitch on Friday. We couldn't pitch on Friday because his elbow was bothering him. So we, shipped, we sent him to our doctor. Our team doctor saw him. Then he flew down to Birmingham. Dr. Andrew saw him. And then he flew from Birmingham to L.A. and Dr. Joachim saw him. And I, I saw the three doctors reports and he had already had Tommy John surgery. And all three reports from the doctors were all the same, that the integrity of the UCL is in damage right now, is in danger. And I said, geez, and I, I said, why, why don't we why don't we give him back? damage good. And if you remember if you remember, he didn't pitch for ten days after we made that trade. And then the first time I saw him throw when he was gonna have a bullpen, I'm standing next to Guy Conte. And I said, Guy, I'm not a doctor, but man, I, I can tell when some you know someone comes out and you've got a rock in a shoe I'm not a podiatrist, mm-hmm. but I can tell. I can tell he's limping. <laughs> you know? Yeah, oh, and I'm yeah. and I'm watching. I'm watching him start to play catch. I say, "Guy, his arms killing him." I, mm-hmm. I know. I know. What that, I know. We all know what that feels like, and you know what it looks like, right? And he he had a tolerance a tolerance of pain like nobody I've ever seen before. And if you if you remember, the he threw. The last pitch he threw, he threw a pitch and ran off the mound and grabbed his arm. If you remember that, and I, and I went in after the inning was over. You know, we had to bring somebody in. I went in and they had him back in the X-ray room, and I went in to see how he was doing. And I was standing up, and he put his he put it he put his arms around me, and put his head on my chest, and cried like he was five years old. And he cried and said, he said Rick, he said i never I've never thrown a pitch healthy since I've been here, not one.
0: And that would never so, happen today because of all the physicals they do and all the investigations into this guy's, you know career and injuries i feel like today that would never happen but then it just seemed like it got swept under the rug rick
2: well, here's what happened. Our team doctor got fired. Their team trainer got fired. And Major League Baseball changed the protocols of how medical reports are transferred before a trade. That whole thing. That's what transpired from that from that from that trade, without question. And I and I didn't I didn't I, I met Scott Casmir like in spring training. I only saw Scott Kazmir pitch like one one you know one inner squad game for two for an inning. That, that was my. That was, I didn't know Scott Casmir I didn't know anything about Scott Kazmir.
1: Yeah, it's not like it's not like you're the one who said, oh yeah, let's get rid of him. The kid stinks. Uh, so that. That to me is is the the surprising part of the whole story is like, you didn't realize what you had in a Scott Casimir. And don't get me wrong, Scott Casmir had a nice career, but still, if you're trying to. Uh, you're trying to work with the team, and if the team is saying that they can get this piece and they feel like he's a good piece and you have that inside information, it's difficult for you to go behind them and say, well, I don't want to do the trade. You've got to always talk it up because the trade's going to be made whether you like it or not. So I don't I don't see how that was fair anywhere, anywhere around to you.
2: Well, well, the reality of it is Al Gold is Al Goldis was the scouting director for the Cincinnati Reds during that draft. And he came over to the Mets afterwards. Bill Livesey was a special assignment guy with Tampa and he was with Tampa and he knew Scott, he knew Scott for uh Zambrano. he knew Victor. He was there for multiple years. I mean, so Al, Al Goldis could have drafted Scott Casimir before the Mets had a chance to draft him, but he passed on him because there was something he didn't like about him. I, I don't know exactly what it was. But but and so that was a big factor. So he had some inside information saying like, look, we could I could have got Scott Casper. I we we passed on him. And Bill Livesey knew everything about Sembrano. The batting average against Sembrano, the American League batting average or nationally batting average against him or batting average against him both composites, was like just over two hundred. And but he didn't throw strikes. His, his delivery didn't allow him to throw strikes. But his last like three starts in Tampa before we made the trade, he threw like a whole over one hundred and thirty pitches, like two twice. And 120-some the other time. And so, and so af- after well, – when we were on the, about a month before the trade. They called me in the office, and they said, look, we're, we're, we're watching videotape of Victor Zambrano. So Jim Duquette and Jeff Wilpon and the manager was in there. We're all in there. They said, well, you know, what do you think about his delivery? I said, "This is terrible." I said, "What would how what would you do with this?" I said, "Well, rather me tell you." I said, "Jim, because Jim was athletic." I said, "Jim, why don't you come up and why don't you do Victor Zbrano?" So he he copied his delivery, and then I showed him a couple drills, and I said, "This this will this will help clean him up and get him on time." He goes, "Wow, it's that simple?" I said, "Yeah, it's that simple." I said, "Then he's going to have to practice it and practice it and practice it." You know, this is not like something, you know. But after he after, you know, just like just like when we worked with you on on change in tempo. It's a very simple thing to learn, but to master it, now you got to practice it and practice it and practice it and practice it, right? And so they said, so we had a conference call, a two-hour conference call, the day of the trade. We were in Montreal. Art Howe and myself were on a conference call listening for two hours, and everybody – there was there was about fifteen people on that call, and everybody that knew Zimbrano and everybody who knew everything about Casimir all spoke up about Scott Casimir and, and Victor Zimbrano. Neither of Art and I, neither of us knew either one of them, so we didn't say anything. So at the end of the conversation, someone on the call asked me, he said, "Rick, what what about Zimbrano's delivery? Is that going to be difficult to, to adjust?" And I said, "No, it's a simple adjustment." I said, "We did this with a bunch of guys, and we probably did this with fifty guys in the organization. These are simple adjustments." You know, then he's going to have to practice it and drill it and drill it and drill it. So we make the trade, and that night I get a call from my oldest son. He said, "Dad, I'm watching Sports Center and Tim Curtin said Rick Peterson can fix Tim in 10 minutes." I said, "What?" I said, first of all, that would never come out of my mouth. I don't. I would never. I'd never say that statement." So when I saw Tim Curtin in spring training, I said, "Tim," I said, "I'm just curious." I said, "I've known you for a long time. If you don't have my number, it wouldn't have been tough for you to get my number." Why didn't you call me and ask me what my opinion was rather than say Rick Peterson
1: said this? I said, well, "What's that about?"
2: He said, "Well, you know, I mean, Rick, I mean, you know, uh, like, I mean, uh, um, you know." I said, "Tim, you normally don't stutter. Why is stuttering
1: now?" Nailed the curtain impression,
2: right? He, he goes, uh, uh, "Well, he goes, well, so, you know, so, so, uh, you know, so, you know, some someone on the call like said that." I said, "Well." I said you know I said do you realize like every time I walk down the street in Manhattan somebody goes Peterson 10 minutes up on Zambrano yet <laughs> I'm like come on dude you know I mean I, I, and I got to check it I got to tell you it was like a year later I'm going to spring training and I'm cooking for my son. I have three sons. And, you know, that, that time they were all in high school. You know, we cook like, you know, pasta and, you know, the sauce and the bread and the whole deal, you know, because they eat like, you know, horses in high school. And so and I'm, right before I'm leaving for spring training and I'm going like, oh, I got to clean out the cabinets. I'm leaving for seven months. Right. So you're trying to like, you know, leave so you're going to throw all the food out. And I go like, oh, I need another can of tomato sauce. Right. And a so one of the stores right here. I look at the oven. I got like 15 minutes. You know, so I run down to the store and I got this one can of tomato sauce and this lady's behind me, you know, in the fast lane, you know, the you know, only a few items. And, you know, she looked, her hair looked like Einstein. She's like leaning on the, you know, she's like 70-some years old and she's leaning on the cart and she obviously couldn't, well, because she's talking really loud, so she goes. I know who you are. You're Rick Peterson. I said, hey, I give her a thumbs up. I go, hey, how you doing? She goes. She goes. Yeah, I said we're gonna we're gonna be good this year. You know, have the faith. Have the faith. Because I just have one question: Is ten minutes up on Zebano yet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm like, man. lady, come on. I'm like, lady, take a day off, will you? Lady, I'm in the produce <laughs> aisle. What are you? What are you doing here? Yeah, right. right? <laughs> and, and so and so, if you remember, Figgy, Mike and the Mad Dog used to do the show with us on the caravan caravan the last day mm-hmm. of the caravan yep. and so so we're in the hard rock cafe that year and i was the last person to go on the show like at the top of the hour seven o'clock hour so after the show over they both said hey rick you want to you know get a glass of wine and you know talk for a little bit and i said yeah sure they said god what a shame like you took the bag for that sombrano casner trade i said what are you talking about because they killed me every time every time they pitched they killed me I don't know what Peterson. And I said, what are you talking? I said, you know the truth about this? They told me more detail about the truth of that trade than I knew. <laughs> I said, I said, why are you killing me every time these guys pitch? They said, Rick, don't you get New York? I said, like, maybe I don't. What is it? They said, never let the truth stand in the way of a good story. <laughs> I said, are you, are you kidding me? I said, you That's guys are going to be me for it. two years of it. You know, and so that was really the truth behind all that. And I was just like going, are you kidding me? Like pitching coaches don't make trades. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, like that's above my pay grade. That's not what pitching coaches do. But anyway, that was another one of those crazy things in New York, right? This is
0: the Victor Zambrano edition of Amazing But True Today. Rick, uh, we could <laughs> talk to you for hours, man. You're always insightful. Uh, you could get his book, Still the Crunch Time How to Be Your Best When It Matters Most. He's the jacket, he's the professor, Rick Peterson. <laughs> Rick, great talking with you, man. We'll talk to you later in the season.
2: My pleasure, man. Always a pleasure, guys.
0: And that says adios to episode 38, the Victor zambrano only fitting. You just heard it from Rick Peterson edition of Amazing But True,
1: our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake, and the new guy, Brian Munguia, for producing the show. Give Amazing But True a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts, please. Gracias, mis amigos.
0: For Nelson Figueroa and his Spanish Academy, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back next Monday for our big season preview show with a very special guest. Can't wait to make our predictions for the 2021 Mets season. Be safe, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.